Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Woo! <laughs> I think that's just got to be like the standard. I don't have any contribution to that opener. <laughs> I've thought long and hard about it. I We have no other contributions for the opener again. Well, it's like, uh, you know, I was doing a shitty boo doo 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 but <laughs> nothing beats Nathan's pre-recorded masterpiece. It never fails. It never has a bad day with no voice. Right. <laughs> it always there. Nathan is the only one who shows up consistently now. That's we right. We just have Nathan pre-record and then just only play that at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Nathan does all of our openers and (laughs) (laughs) keeps up with the current events for everybody. That's not a bad idea, though. A pre-recorded Nathan current events. Well, just a (laughs) pre-recorded Nathan's voice. (laughs) It doesn't have to be Nathan's voice. It's just you know that's not a bad idea. We should think about that, and then we could be more concise with our current events. Unlike today, where we have two stories for you. Um, Oh wait. Well, do we have to introduce ourselves? It's Mark's Madness. Oh, yeah. So this is Mark's. Welcome back. We'll Mark's stay Madness. We read end. books. <laughs> yeah. My I mean, name's David. Uh, I'm Shimani, too. And we have a guest. I'm Frez. Yes. As guest if you didn't know. And uh, we're going to be getting back into the Gramsci. Um, what do we call it? The, the prep? The, the prequel? Preamble. The preamble, preamble. That's it. The preamble to the, the Gramsci reader um, by Stuart Hall. Um, which is is included in the reader. But before we do that, we are going to talk, as we tend to do, um, as we are wont to do in the fancy terms, uh, about current events. Um, Fancy terms. (laughs) (laughs) Wantonly talking about. (laughs) Orca. Whale Watch 2023. We have another incident of whales being spotted off the coast of New England. Not to be confused with Old England, though I'm sure the time will come. (laughs) <laughs> but they've been recruiting other sea mammals yes <laughs> yes <laughs> it's gonna be fucking, newport rhode island's gonna be terrorized by orcas it's it's gonna be fantastic and 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 i mean you know let's be clear they're closely related to other sea mammals too because I, something that people don't realize is dolphins are just small whales and we just arbitrarily start calling them dolphins so well, these are all arbitrarily they're oh. different species <laughs> well they're different no but I'm, I'm saying like we arbitrarily pick which species are dolphins and which species are whales well, well they're I all think different it's... species of whales well i think it's a little more complicated than that it's like saying pterodactyls are dinosaurs it's not we, we have like the whole genetic sequencing stuff now i think i, I think they know well that they're different but i get what you're saying like they can communicate but yeah. then puss on could communicate with dolphins on acid. I think so all I'm saying. trying to do the behold a man thing, but with dolphins. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But <laughs> I get what you're going for. But let's not throw away actual science because, like, you have sure. the LaRoucheites doing the Lysenko shit and saying, oh, yeah, genes aren't real. So I'm just like, yeah, no, no I don't, I don't want to do that. Any anti science needs to be combated. Okay. No, I, I don't want to do that. But I, I, what I'm saying is like a lot of people think of dolphins as a whole different family sure. of, of animals and they're, they're within the whale family. It's all the same. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like apes, you know, it, it's, it's just the same big family, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're splitting hairs here, but yeah, okay, what family is. Because it's like extended <laughs> family, maybe. All right, let's, let's move away from taxonomy, because that shit's yeah. terrible. Yeah, we're, none of us are biologists. So no. Let's continue. No, we're just rooting for our, our 
orca brethren. None of us are marine biologists at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whole different specialization Mm -hmm. because the ocean's kind of fucking amazing and huge. Um, But uh, the other thing that's going on besides, you know, beluga bloods, I don't know what to call them. (laughs) I was trying to give them a gang name. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, freaking, you know, the beluga red guard. Uh, is manning the oceans while in the air the bees have begun attacking cops in LA. <laughs> Loving it. So Loving it. Yeah. nature is healing. Yeah, who said Chip said that uh, on Twitter? <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but I did not see that. Oh my god, I saw that and I laughed. So I guess a lot of people had the same joke ready, but freaking oh my god, it is too funny that this is happening because like I started talking about recruiting crows, you know, and then all of a sudden the whales and fucking bees start doing shit. I'm like, there's something to that. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I think we can harness the power of the animals. That is some some solid leadership skills there, Shigmani, too. Thank you. Yeah. I, <laughs> they actually listen to the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows we have Bia Vision. Uh, <laughs> so uh yeah that's that's all in current events but you know maybe we can get the beavers to build strategic dams for us and flood you know because then it's not against the geneva convention there we so, go God. think smarter than the average russian or ukrainian whoever blew it up i don't care <laughs> i like i don't care i'm not gonna get into that debate it's probably the ukraine it's the Ukrainians. <laughs> we talked about that before. That dam feeds electricity and water to Crimea. No, I know. But that's like, why would no, Russia blow that up? Nobody out? knows. Yeah. <laughs> nobody knows. It's Nord Stream. Like uh, the Dutch just said that they uh, that they warned the CIA about Ukraine blowing it up. Oh God, yeah. And then and then uh, no, there was articles coming out now that like. The CIA was unable to to stop the Ukrainian, and so now it's just rogue Ukrainians, so they can wash their hands of it. It's like, yeah, no, you you fuckers told them to. You know, meanwhile, Canada just gave them another half a billion dollars. Yeah. Anyway, that's current events over. <laughs> well, where were we? Let's begin. Uh, yeah, so we're bottom the bottom of page. It's page number forty six on um, the Stuart Hall book. This is pulled from. Um, we've said, you know, yeah, slide what down. is this book? <laughs> Have we ever said is this Gramsci's relevance? It looks like some of the, the, the pages it's say. out of one of his many essential essays or selective writings. Okay. I just wasn't sure if, if the bottom of the page saying Gramsci's relevance, that was a chapter or the book title. But... This is a chapter. Okay. Right. I didn't know if that was the title of the chapter or the title of the book with Gramsci's relevance. I'm assuming, the, I'm assuming the title chapter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, we're starting on, on page 46, we're starting on, I believe it is a clear deduction from this line of argument that though the ideological field is always for Gramsci articulated to different social and political positions, its shape and structure do not precisely mirror match or echo the class structure of society, nor can they be reduced to their economic content or function. Ideas, he argues, have a center of formation, of irradiation, of dissemination, of persuasion. And that's from prison. I love that alliteration. Yeah. Like, does it work out like that in Italian? Was that 
That was rhymes, not alliteration. I have no idea what the Italian is. <laughs> Wait, what what did you just say it was? Rhyming. You said the formation, irradiation, dissemination, persuasion. Those are rhymes. Well, alliteration is just like the same sound coming out of your mouth repeatedly. Oh, see, I thought alliteration was the beginning of the same letter. No, but I mean, kind of is because that's the most common form, right? Oh, okay. Well, see, because you're going cow, coo, cow, cow, We're not marine biologists or English teachers. So. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we are organic intellectuals or whatever the fuck Gramsci said. That's right. Uh, nor are they spontaneously born, um, air quotes over spontaneously born, in each individual brain. They are not psychologistic or mor- moralistic in character, um, quote, but structural and epistemological, end quote. They are sustained and transformed in their material- materiality within the institutions of civil society in the state. Consequently, ideologies are not transformed or changed by replacing one whole already formed concept of the world with another so much as renovating and making critical an already existing activity is this like saying that you'll see remnants of the old society within the new is that what it's getting at yeah but it's also saying that like we can't replace liberalism with socialism it's a process yeah right yeah. Okay. yeah, and whatever would come out, yeah, whatever would come out would come out based on where people came from. So, uh, like a colonized person converting to socialism versus a white person converting to socialism, uh, someone in a you know a capitalist society um, versus an agrarian society, all that stuff, right? It's it's kind of a historical materialism level of it is what I'm reading. Um, the multi accentual. That is a fancy word, multi-accentual. What does does that mean? Like more than one accent. And in this term, accent is like, uh, I'm forgetting the word. Um, (laughs) In this term, accent is like a unique thing about like, think about like accents on a wall kind of thing. Oh, sure, sure. Like the the unique fe- the unique features of something, but there's multiple unique features. Mm-hmm. The specific idiosyncratic nature of things. Yeah. Um, I, no, uh, I, I I that sounds right to me. Um, cool. Interdiscursive character of the field of ideology is explicitly acknowledged by Gramsci when, for example. He describes how an old conception of the world is gradually displaced by another mode of thought and is internally reworked and transformed. Oh, so I should have shut up and let the book read. (laughs) Going into a Gramsci quote, uh, what matters is the criticism to which an ideological complex is subjected. This makes possible a process of differentiation and change in the relative weight that the elements of old ideologies used to possess. What was previously secondary and subordinate becomes the nucleus of a new ideological and theoretical complex. The old collective will dissolve into its contradictory elements since the subordinate ones develop socially. Um, so just to run this down, at least as I'm reading it and, 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 and we can bounce it back and forth. Um, but, you know, really wanted to soak this in. So the idea ideology, it depends on obviously on an individualistic level, your experiences, your personal identity, what, readings are available to you your life changes how you interpret those readings and what you've actually 
read and experienced. And of course, as an ideology, that's not just one person's thing. That's a broad collective thought and movement. And so it's all these broad collective thoughts and movements and experiences gelling together around a central idea or ideology, broad, broad approach to idea. And short materialism. So you just summarize common sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say materialism formulates common sense is what we're getting at to say it simply. This is looking at like the transformation of, for example, people as a whole going from capitalism to socialism Mm, or that kind of stuff. So when it's saying the old collective will dissolve into its contradictory elements since the subordinate ones develop socially, that's like say to, to do a very simplistic example, it's moving from cap like liberal capitalist to social Democrat and then eventually getting to socialist. But in that process, we have the contradictions of capitalism starting to fall in on themselves to where you start getting these new conceptions of the world and what the role of the state is and all of that stuff. Is that why we're having flat earth again? Yes. Okay. Um, but also by the same token too, I guess from our movements, from, from what you're saying, then that would constitute like contradictions between different formations and parties that have dissolved or had past beefs and stuff as revolutionaries affect where we are. Right. Like you can think, you know, what the weather under other the weather underground advocated was pure and correct, but also, you know, we've already done that and then look what happened. Right. And, and that changes uh, the way we'd approach things going forward, I assume, but this is, is, you know, changing what it would look like if our revolution was successful. Yes. No, it's the transformation of things over time. So like with your weather underground example, we could look at it as a failure or whatever, but if we're looking at it in terms of the ideological importance, that's how we're seeing, you know, American white settlers, collapsing the ideology in on itself and trying to get something else out of it. Okay. Cause there's all of the contradictions and, and whatever within the weather underground movement, but that's still a progression from capitalist ideology and common sense. Okay. And we can see all of the contradictions that happen even just between going from liberal capitalist to however we want to describe whether underground members. Okay. Well, this is almost like taking the crucible of revolution line from Stalin, right. And expanding it into the two more of motion and more of position, right. Or yeah. More maneuver, more of more maneuver. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's my contribution. <laughs> This is an altogether more original and generative way of perceiving the actual process of ideological struggle. It also conceives of culture and the hist- as the historically shaped terrain on which all new philosophical and theoretical currents work and with which they must come to terms. He draws attention to the given and determinate character of the terrain and the complexity and the process of deconstruction and reconstruction by which old alignments are dismantled and new alignments can be affected between elements in different discourses and between social forces and ideas. It conceives ideological change not in terms of substitution or imposition, 
but rather in terms of articulation and the disarticulation of ideas. And that ends section two of the chapter. And uh, then we move on to section three. I, I can take over. If Go you ahead. Want. Okay. It remains now to sketch some of the ways in which this Gramscian perspective could potentially be used to transform and we rework some of the existing theories and paradigms in the analysis of racism and related social phenomena. Again, I emphasize that this is not a question of the immediate transfer of Gramsci's particular ideas to these questions. Rather, it is a matter of bringing a distinctive theoretical perspective to bear on the seminal theoretical and analytical problems which define the field. And the field being... Marxism? Yeah. Or, okay. or general, I just want to know what or, he's talking about. Or broadly speaking, in the old term of like, like Gramsci called himself a sociologist. Oh, yeah, was I was going to really say. Studying society. Sociological is yeah. what I was thinking. But. First, I would underline the emphasis of historical specificity. No doubt there are certain general features of two racism. But even more significant are the ways in which these general features are modified and transformed by the historical specificity of the context and environments in which they became, become active. In the analysis of particular historical forms of racism, we would do well to operate at a more concrete, historicized level of abstraction. That is, well, parentheses, that is not racism in general, but racisms and parentheses. Even within the limited case that I know best, parentheses, that is Britain, and parentheses, I would say that difference between British racism in its quote-unquote high imperial period and the racism in which the racism which characterizes the British social formation now in a period of relative economic decline, then the issue is confronted not in the colonial setting, but as part of the indigenous, that's with a small I, mind you, <laughs> Not gonna twisted you, European fucks. Anyway, <laughs> indigenous labor. Wait, force. no, he's from Jamaica. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know. He moved. He moved to Britain. Okay. Indigenous labor force and regime of accumulation within the domestic economy are greater and more significant than the similarities. It is often little more. Oh, wait, sorry. More significant than the similarities. Period. It is often a little more than a gestural stance which persuades us to the misleading view that because racism is everywhere, a deeply anti-human and anti-social practice, it is therefore everywhere the same. Either in its forms, its relations to other structures and processes, or its effects. Gramsci does, I believe, help us to interrupt decisively this homogenization. Second, and related... I would draw attention to the emphasis stemming from the historical experience of Italy, which led Gramsci to give considerable weight to national characteristics as an important level of determination and to regional unevenness. This is no homogenous quote unquote law of development, which impacts even which impacts evenly throughout every facet of social formation. We need to understand better the tensions and contradictions generated by the uneven tempos and directions of historical development. Racism and racist practices and structures frequently occur in some, but not all, sectors of the social formation. Their impact is penetrative, but uneven, and their very unevenness 
of impact may help to deepen and exasperate these contradictory sectoral antagonisms. Third, I would underline the non-reductive approach to questions concerning the interrelationship between class and race. This has proved to be, and I feel like this is going to be a good paragraph, but <laughs> sorry. This has proved to be one of the most complex and difficult theoretical problems to address, and it has frequently led to the adoption of one or the other extreme position. Either one quote-unquote privileges the underlying class relationships, emphasizing that all ethnically and racially differentiated labor forces are subject to the same exploitative relationships within capital, or one emphasizes the centrality of ethnic and racial categories and divisions at the expense of fundamental class structuring of society. Though these two extremes appear to be the polar opposites of one another, in fact, they are inverse mere images of each other, in the sense that both feel required to produce a single and exclusive determining principle of articulation, class or race, even if they disagree as to which should be accorded the privileged sign. I believe the fact that Gramsci adopts a non-reductive approach to question of class, coupled with his understandings of the profoundly historical shaping to any specific social formation, does help to point the way toward a non-reductionist approach to the race-class question. I almost wish it was hyphenated. I don't know. Um, this is yeah. enriched by Gramsci's attention to what we might call the culturally specific quality of class formations in any historically specific society. He never makes the mistake of believing that because of the, because the general law of value has this tendency to homogenize labor power across the capitalist epoch. Therefore, uh, therefore in any concrete society, this homogenization can be assumed to exist. Indeed, I believe Gramsci's whole approach leads us to question the validity of this general law in its traditional form, since precisely it has encouraged us to neglect the ways in which the law of value, operating on a global as opposed to merely a domestic scale, operates through and because of the culturally specific character of labor power, rather than, as the classical theory would have us believe, by systemically eroding those distinctions as an inevitable part of a worldwide epical historical tendency. Certainly, whenever we depart from the quote-unquote Eurocentric model of capitalist development, and even within that model, what we actually find is that many ways in which capital can preserve, adapt to its fundamental trajectory, and harness and exploit these uh, particularistic qualities of labor power, building them into its regimes. The ethnic and racial structuration of the labor force, like its gendered composition, may provide an inhibition to the rationalistically conceived quote-unquote global tendencies of capitalist development, and yet these distinctions have been maintained and indeed developed and refined in the global expansion of the capitalist mode, which would almost be like the progress of colonialism to settle well settler colonialism to neo-colonialism right uh, which is overall just describing imperialism um, they have provided the means for differentiated forms of exploitation of the different sectors of a fractured labor force in that context their economic political and social effects have been profound 
we would get much further along the road to understanding how the regime of capital can function through differentiation and difference rather than through similarity and identity if we took more seriously this question of the cultural, social, national, ethnic, and gendered compositions of historically different and specific forms of labor. Gramsci, though he is not a general theorist of the capitalist mode, does point us unalterably in that direction. Banger. Uh, not like seriously. There's not a lot to say. I would say a lot of it reminds me similarly of Rodney, uh, who would say, you know, you need the questions. You need to answer the questions of race, class, colony, and gender all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, and that seems like what he's getting at, but more specific. Yeah, they're they're different but deeply intertwined, and so there's no reason to put them at odds. Yeah, like it should be like like I said, it was a slash uh, at the top paragraph. I just it would have made sense to hyphenate it as I, its own I, thing. I was about to say if I wasn't reading along with my eyes, though, I mean, I would have had it as a hyphen in in my head. You know, right? It, like it, it sound it would have been better. I, I don't know. I feel like they needed a. I feel like he's the editor. <laughs> he's the editor and probably the author. <laughs> Anyway, what Prez, were you going to say something about that? I was going to say that there is a distinction between the slash and the hyphen uh, in this case. He was more referring to like the debate itself, whether or not it's class or race. That's why the slash is there. Right. Moreover, his analysis does also point to the way different modes of production can be combined within the same social formations, leading not only to regional specificity and unevenness, but to differential modes of incorporating so-called quote-unquote backward sectors within the social regime of capital. Parentheses. For example, southern Italy within the Italian formation, the quote-unquote Mediterranean south within the more advanced quote-unquote northern sectors of industrial Europe, the quote-unquote peasant economies of the hinterland in Asian and Latin American societies on the path to dependent capitalist development, quote-unquote colonial enclaves within the development of metropolitan capitalist regimes. Historically, slave societies as an integral aspect of primitive capitalist development of the metropolitan powers, quote-unquote migrant labor forces within domestic labor markets, quote-unquote Batustans, Within within so-called sophisticated capitalist economies, or end parentheses. What is a Batustin? Batustin. Fuck if I know. Can we look that up? <laughs> Research hour at Mark's Madness. Okay, somebody take over here, and I'll come back in. I, I ended that. Uh, nice it, it was the policy in apartheid South Africa where they set essentially reservations for African people. Oh, so this is the reservations there. Okay, fascinating. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense too because it was talking about um, colonial enclaves within developmental metropolitan capitalist regimes. So that would be like the, the inner city um, or you know, reservations. Or ghetto, or reservations. Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. Yep. Like this is honestly the first conceptualizations probably I'd be interested to know if George Manuel read this at all. Okay. You know, I mean, this is like the kind of people he hung out with. So, uh, 
Theoretically, what needs to be noticed is the persistent way which these specific differentiated forms of incorporation have consistently been associated with the appearance of racist, ethnically segmentary, and other similar social features. Fourth, there is the question of non-homogenous character of the class subject. Again, the non-homogenous character of the class subject. This rip pat socks is like the whole fucking thing here today <laughs> class is not homogenous crazy uh-huh. approaches which privilege the class as opposed to the racial structuring of working classes or peasantries are often predicated on the assumption that because the mode of exploitation vis-a-vis capital in the same the class subject of any such exploitative mode must be not only economically but politically and ideologically unified As I've just argued, there is now good reason for qualifying the sense in which the operation of modes of exploitation toward different sectors of the labor force are, quote, the same, unquote. In any case, Gramsci's approach, which differentiates the conditional process, the different, quote, moments, and the contingent character of the passage from, quote, class in itself, unquote, to class for itself. Those are both quoted. I'm very awkward about reading quotes. Sorry. Um, or for the economic corporate to the hegemonic moments of the social development does radically and decisively problematize such simple notions of unity. Even the quote unquote hegemonic moment is no longer conceptualized as a moment of simple unity, but as a process of unification never totally achieved. Founded on strategic alliances between different sectors, not their pre-given identity. Its character is given by the founding assumption that there's no automatic identity or correspondence between economic, political, and ideological practices. This begins to explain how ethnic and racial differences can be constructed as a set of economic, political, or ideological antagonisms within a class, which is subject to roughly similar forms of exploitation with respect to ownership of and expropriation from the means of production. The latter, which has come to provide something of a magical talisman differentiating the Marxist definition of class from more pluralistic stratification models and definitions, has by now long outlived its theoretical utility when it comes to explaining the actual and concrete historical dynamic within different sectors and segments within classes. And this was... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, is that sort of like tongue-in-cheek? You know, it somehow became a magical talisman that removed it from the class question right that's what he's saying and he's talking about how like the art the the theory about why white workers hate black workers is just reductive and and Mm -hmm. doesn't really play into it's that talisman kind of thing this is the the rosetta stone of racism we found (laughs) (laughs) um fifth I have already referred to the lack of assumed correspondence in the Gramscian model between economic, political, and ideological dimensions. But here I would pull out for specific emphasis the political consequences of this non-correspondence. This has the theoretical effect of forcing us to abandon schematic constructions of how classes should ideally and abstractly behave politically in place of the concrete study of how they actually do behave in real historical conditions. I really like that dig because we, we pride ourselves on being 
materialist and a lot of the like economism and, 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 and all, all the assumptions that alluded to earlier, like making class assumptions, a priori and alluded to right above about the, you know, talisman of racism. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're trying to figure out in your head and you're taking a very idealistic approach and trying to debate it out rather than taking a materialistic approach and building from the evidence. Well, I would almost say it's for convenience sake, right? It's a historiography instead of an actual historical analysis. It's like, mm-hmm. what's a convenient narrative that makes sense to say? Yeah. Instead of what actually fucking happened. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I like work like Gerald Horn who digs into to oh gerald horn so fucking i mean 40 some titles and Mm -hmm. he talks about everything i mean Mm -hmm. crazy amount of shit Mm -hmm. i I didn't realize how many books he had just like oh here's a about the class struggle in jamaica and hollywood and texas and california and pre-columbian mexico (laughs) you know like it's fucking crazy I don't know how many of us will live long enough to read everything Gerald Hoard's written, but we'd all be better off if we could. So just try to read some of it. Um, Somebody it, started Gerald Horn Marks Madness. There we go. <laughs> On the horn. Or, I don't know. <laughs> Around the horn. Um, it has frequently been a consequence of the old correspondence model that the analysis of classes and other related social forces as political forces and the study of the terrain of politics itself has become a rather automatic, schematic, and residual activity. If, of course, there is correspondence plus the primacy of the economic over the determining factors, then why spend time analyzing the terrain of politics when it only reflects in a displaced and subordinate way the determinations of economic in the last instance? Meaning, like, why even look into the world if you, you know, if economics determines it all, you've got it all figured out. Um, Gramsci certainly would not entertain that kind of reductionism for a moment. He knows he is analyzing structurally complex, not simple and transparent formations. He knows that politics has its own relatively autonomous forms, tempos, and trajectories, which need to be studied in their own right, with their own distinctive concepts and with attention to their real and retroactive effects. Moreover, Gramsci has put a certain key concepts into play, which help us differentiate this region theoretically from such concepts as hegemony, historical block, uh, quote, party in its wider sense, passive revolution, transformism, traditional and organic intellectuals, and strategic alliance constitute only the beginnings of a distinct and original range. It remains to be demonstrated how the study of politics in racially structured or dominated situations could be positively illuminated by the rigorous applications of these newly formed concepts. And sixth, a similar argument could be mounted with respect to the state in relation to racial and ethnic class struggles. The state has been consistently defined by an exclusively coercive, dominative, and conspiratorial manner. Again, Gramsci breaks irrevocably with all three. His domination slash direction distinction, coupled with the educative role of the state, its ideological character, its position in the construction of hegemonic strategies, however crude in their original form- formulation, could transform the study, both of the state in relation to racist practices and the related phenomenon of the po- post-colonial state. Gramsci's subtle use of the state's 
slash civil society distinction, even when it fluctuates in his own work, is extreme is an extremely flexible theoretical tool and may lead analysts to pay much more serious attention to those institutions and processes and the so-called civil society in racially structured social formations than they have been encouraged to do in the past. Schooling, cultural education, organizations, family and sexual life, the patterns and modes of civil association, churches and religions, communal and organizational forums, ethnically specified institutions, and many other such sites play an absolutely vital role in giving, sustaining, and reproducing different societies in a racially structured form. In any Gramscian inflected analysis, they would cease to be regulated to a superficial place in the analysis. So like you can't just, you know, put um, the the racism taught in history classes in a school in a, in a same little box as like the history of the NAACP and, and things like that is what I'm reading, right? Well, not even just that. You, If you're looking at race, you have to look at every other institution it mm-hmm. interacts with, which is that whole last list that he just mentioned. <laughs> right. I mean, like if your society is based on white supremacist domination of the world. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, and, and, and we know it's deeply entwined in, you know, anything from employment to healthcare, to education, to housing, um, and, and every form of, uh, you know, I mentioned sexuality, every form of oppression is then amplified when, when pressed against race. Right. Um, so not only do say black women face the problems of women and of black people, but also unique problems of black women, um, black trans people not only face the problems of, of racism against black people and the, the problems of bigotry against trans people, um, but specifically issues that black trans people encounter. And that's across every aspect of society. Uh, seventh. Following the same line of thought, one might note the centrality which Gramsci's analysis always gives to the cultural factor in social development. By culture here, I mean the actual grounded terrain of practices, representations, languages, and customs of any specific historical society. I also mean the contradictory forms of common sense, which we have taken root in and helped to shape our popular life. I would also include the whole distinctive range of questions which Gramsci lumped together under the title The National Popular. Gramsci understands that these constitute a crucial site for the construction of a popular hegemony. They are the key stake as objects of political and ideological struggle and practice. They constitute a national resource for change as well as a potential barrier for the development of a new collective will. For example, Gramsci perfectly well understood how popular Catholicism had constituted under specific Italian conditions a formidable alternative to the development of a secular and progressive national popular culture. How in Italy it would have to be engaged, not simply wished aside. He would likewise he likewise understood that many others did not that as many others did not, the role which fascism played in Italy in homogenizing the backward character of the national popular culture in Italy and refashioning it into a reactionary national formation with a genuine popular basis and support. Transferred to other comparable situations where race and ethnicity have always carried powerful cultural national popular connotations, Gramsci's evidence should prove immensely enlightening. 
I think we have to remember that when we get to Gramsci's stuff, but also this is a good kind of introduction to what we're going to see with Gramsci and what I think is out of all the different ones, all the different theories that we usually cite, Trotsky, Zetkin, all of those, this is the most uh, effective way of analyzing fascism in the modern time that is not uh, doesn't have too many gaps and also isn't too elitist or condescending. The guy just die outside your window or something? No, I live right next to like a pier and people are swimming. <laughs> oh, that makes so much. I just heard something like fall, like a no, like crash. Kids push you know? each other off the pier all the time. <laughs> I thought somebody just murdered their husband or something. <laughs> Where was that? Myanmar. Myanmar. During the Myanmar coup. <laughs> Maybe I'm That's next. what I do for my exercise routine every day. <laughs> it's a Myanmar coup exercise. <laughs> the best routine if you need something to do cardio <laughs> um but you know also that that last you know paragraph makes sense is is people try to to make sense of stuff like like trump is just some weird phenomenon he has a genuine popular base and it largely boils down to racism and the racist history of this country but it's not as simple as as that you know it's it's funneling american nationalism and, and what republicans were into something more reactionary right um well right simple is definitely. yeah we yeah we don't we don't want to oversimplify these like, things racism is never simple <laughs> there's no. a long history no you well, know as hall was saying though it's not just the race it it's race and class so the whole analysis of trump being yeah almost not- all racism we have to look at and again i encourage everyone to read palancis the the roots of fascism as a response by the petty bourgeoisie, which Gramsci also touches on, but it's a, a response by the petty bourgeoisie and the sympathetic workers, that branch of the working class, who are experiencing real economic loss, even if we want to call it settler as a like built on the backs of built on the blood of the colonized and all that shit. I mean, like Pat Soch, this is like defining what we're seeing with the Pat Soch rhetoric, right? Well, yeah, but but it's it's built on actual loss of the ideological things that people expect of that. Yeah, the squandering of imperial spoils or whatever from yeah. their parents, mm-hmm. you know, turns out generational wealth doesn't and really. Then, and then blaming it on so. yeah, and then blaming it on any social gains in the last seventy years in order to have a, a, a bad guy. And you it know, all links together. Finally, I would cite Gramsci's work in the ideological field. It is a clear it is clear that quote unquote racism, if not exclusively an ideological phenomenon, has critical ideological dimensions. Hence the relative crudity and reductionism of materialist theories of ideology have proved a considerable stumbling block in the necessary work of analysis in the area in this area. Especially the analysis has Especially, the analysis has been foreshortened, I hate that word, by homogeneous, homogeneous, non-contradictory conception of consciousness and of ideology. These fucking consonants are going to be the end of me. 
which has left most commentators virtually undefended when obliged to account, say, for the purchase of racist ideologies within the working class or within related institutions like trade unions, which in the abstract ought to be dedicated to anti-racist positions. The phenomenon of, quote, working class racism, end quote, though by no means the only kind requiring explanation, has proved extraordinarily resistant to analysis. Gramsci's whole approach to the question of the formation and transformation of the ideological field of popular consciousness and its processes of formation decisively undercuts this problem. We should, he shows that subordinated ideologies are necessarily and inevitably contradictory. Quote, Stone Age elements and principles of a more advanced science, prejudices from all past phases of history, and intuitions of a future philosophy, end quote. He shows how the so-called quote-unquote self, which underpins these ideological formations, is not a unified but a contradictory subject and a social construction. He thus helps us to understand one of the most common least explained features of quote-unquote racism, the quote-unquote subjection of the victims of racism to the mystifications of the very racist ideologies which imprison and define them. He shows how different, often contradictory elements can be woven into and integrated within different ideological discourses, but also the nature and value of ideological struggle, which seeks to transform popular ideas and the quote-unquote common sense of the masses. All this has the most profound importance for the analysis of racist ideologies and for the centrality within that of ideological struggle. In all these different ways, and no doubt in other ways, which I have not had time to develop here, Gramsci proves on closer inspection, and despite his apparently quote-unquote Eurocentric position, to be one of the most theoretically fruitful, as well as one of the least known and least understood sources of new ideas, paradigms, and perspectives in the contemporary studies of racially structured social phenomena. (sighs) Jesus, wow, that is loaded. That is the end of Stuart Hall. I guess hey. this is a good place to end the episode. And yeah, do we do we, we get do we go on to Gramsci next or what's next? Yeah, we go on to Gramsci next. Oh my God! So tune in next time for Gramsci. <laughs> uh, next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> get excited, folks! Get excited! Get excited! The ten That's- minutes of just standing in place screaming is over. <laughs> right. The, I mean, Mark's Madness kind of is like Dragon Ball Z with how long it takes us to read. Pages, <laughs> right? We're the Dragon Ball Z of podcasts or audio books. So technically next we have the introduction of Gramsci Hell yeah. by the translator. Oh, no way. So it's not even him. Yes. No. Wait, is this about to be Buttigieg's dad? No, this is okay. uh, Quentin Hoare. Oh. Sorry, unfortunate last name. I'm it's three years old. So. No, I know, but well, he's he's also the translator, so it's it's. Uh, All it's right, I'm excited. 
Yeah, and and I think it's good. I, and I, you know, just simmering on the idea of this too is is, is it, this should be stuff that's it's like a lot of other good theory, right? It's not obvious till you say it, and then when you say it, it's oh, that's that should have been obvious. But you know that this is why we we you know work through philosophy and we read theory and and we bounce think ideas and things off each other and 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 talk about this stuff because it's something that should be obvious, but you're not automatically driven to it from your position, right. From your experiences. Um, you know, we, we've got different complexities. Like one thing we didn't even touch on, we talked about civil society and how it shapes and, and upholds racial structures. And we've got an indigenous person on the podcast. We didn't even talk about mascots. And, oh, I and, mean like that was kind of like obvious. I thought, yeah, Can like that's like, no, 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 no. But like that's there, there's an example of, of civil oh, society yeah, reinforcing, you know, well, um, I mean, I can't and, watch a single fucking thing without hearing some anti-indigenous <laughs> thing. I mean, like the term off the reservation gets used in daily conversations mm-hmm. without realizing its meaning. Uh, you know, we called Osama bin Laden Geronimo. If that's not fucking mm-hmm. pretty fucked up to demonize, well, you know, like Islamophobia is bad, but then to utilize the genocide victims that you keep in concentration camps still. Yeah. As the, uh, I just, it's really fucked up to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something, you know, you see from, from any position, right? Like I, I don't obviously, you know, click on, do it as well as from a, these, you know, anti-indigenous tropes as, as you do, obviously, but I even well, see, and then you have like academias keeps pushing the bearing land, uh, straight, even though like the Smithsonian mm-hmm. pretty much on board with getting rid of it. I, I was actually watching a YouTube video that that other than that part was kind of decent. It was like history, sort of, and then like everything up to like the 20th century was basically fine, except it just shoved in the Lambridge theory. Yeah, all the like, time for no reason. reason. Yeah, and, it and it's like, why? What does it do? It's, it was, literally, know. what does mm-hmm. it matter to Europeans if we came over a bridge or canoed here? Mm-hmm. What does it matter? And and yet we're smarter than you still. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Reinforcements of any common sense, though, are done all the time. You know, you see that with anti-communism, especially like with North Korea, where it, it's it, you're bashing something else. And a lot of times it's it's racist or wrong or wrongfully bashed. But whether it's right or wrong to bash the other thing, you use some trope, some some ridiculous standard to bash it. Right. So like you were talking about Geronimo with, with Osama bin Laden, you know, there's also like, well, what is this place? North, you know, Oh, Putin's imprisoning someone else. What is that? North Korea? You know, I mean, like it's, it's taking something and reinforcing something else at the same time and almost attacking it in two, two different things in one thought, you know, and that a lot of it's rooted in this civil society versus Mm. barbarian Mm. society Mm. shit that comes from, I mean, like, a lot of it's like a misinterpretation, I'd say, of Marx's tongue-in-cheekness, some of it. <laughs> like, like it's almost like white people read tongue-in-cheekness, and they're like, racism comes out, and they're like, he agrees. Not that he didn't agree with some things. As yeah, not some part, but, like, yeah, people <laughs> overread into it, like, the on the Jewish question thing that Marx oh, yeah, was. Like, that's a good Marx was Jewish. <laughs> yeah, it's like not, it's not like Marx was not not racist, but like he wasn't as bad as as people will say. But then they'll read like on the Jewish question and like completely misinterpret it. Well, it's like you can hear indigenous people complain about our tribal councils, mm-hmm. but 
when the state of Kentucky puts out propaganda depicting us as criminal wastelands that are lawless and need to be tamed um, for election purposes uh, and to try to counter uh, Cherokee land back issues, which it's also like, well, to be fair, Cherokee's land back is in these codes, not <laughs> Oklahoma. Um, so I don't think we're really quite addressing things appropriately there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To be totally honest. And even then, like, how do you address that? Because it's you're not going to make the Cherokee move again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fucked up. Uh, <laughs> kind of denies the idea of not like doing things ethnically based and stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. There's a lot of complications that need to be actually addressed and can't be simplified. Uh, Because of course you also have the question of the freedmen that don't get citizenship within uh, the Cherokee nation often. And there's, you know, other examples of that, this anti-blackness within Indian communities, but then also you have like the Buffalo soldiers in my community where it's like our first exposure to black people were then murdering us with the whites. So yeah, like that slavery was over by the time we got invaded, you well, know, like there's pretty weird, like reconstruction had ended by the time we get invaded. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was a complexity we talked about when we did, um, when we did black reconstruction, talking about the civil war, right. A lot of the, the union, um, you know, the, these were like, people these were heroes in abolishing slavery but they were reluctant in that anyway it was more that black people took over the war and won it for themselves um but even these people were you know on the side of of black people and fighting for that side but at the same time they were you know exploiting chinese immigrants for railways and moving west and 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 taking indigenous land and genociding indigenous people and you know obviously lincoln hanging 38 lakota um people that we've talked about um you know, that because we dared to say, "Hey, you said you'd feed us if we stopped fighting you," mm-hmm. and then the guy said, "Eat grass," so we killed him. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, th- there's a bunch of of complex contradictions in that, and that's something that's recognized well here, and and we need to. Oh yeah, yeah. Understand like, I like Abe. You know, like it's kind of the like most reluctant white dude ever to do good things. Like Karl Marx wrote the dude in like what the secretary replied. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, and then also like you can have the same, the same words, but they mean completely different things. Right. So like, you know, you saying fuck Abe Lincoln, it's like, okay, you know, that's, it's in response to, to um, what we just talked about with, with hanging with the, the let them eat grass. Um, I'm very glad he did the Gettysburg Address or whatever and the thir- 13th Amendment. Or, yes. Yeah, but and there's people that'll say fuck Abe Lincoln because of that. The 13th Amendment is kind of shit. Yes. Because well, yeah. of the ending. Because mm-hmm. of that whole like exception in it. And there's well, also people that would be like fuck Abe Lincoln because he wasn't more pro-abolitionist and he picked Andrew Johnson as a vice president, which led to the end of Reconstruction almost as directly as anything. You know, I, I'm I'm literally didn't that dude like advocate for the reestablishment of the Confederacy while president? <laughs> What's that? Oh, a- Andrew Johnson? 
Yeah, when he took uh, over, no, when he and was he was he was he was advocating hard for just bringing the South in, like no no qualifiers, just. We just want him back. Just like in Lincoln had advocated for that too. Lincoln had advocated like 10% of the population was good with, you know, abolishing slavery and being part of the North. And then the South could come back in. Right. But Andrew Johnson was, he was a, a Southern boy and a former slaveholder. And he was like, you know, having tea with these guys and chumming it up and giving them everything they wanted. He was uh, fucking horrible. Um, but anyway, oh, with that, this is the end of the episode. This is like, the end of the episode. What do we do now? Um, There's no reading. <laughs> so the many plugs that we have, as usual. Um, of course, there's the Patreon uh, that goes to supporting getting Prez a new microphone. But uh, also, our main goal right now is to bring on like a more permanent transcriptionist. Um, uh, it only costs them three hundred and fifty like. All we need is three hundred and fifty more dollars in the Patreon, and this person can permanently do anything they want for Revolution, as well as transcribe for us. So that's fucking cool. Um, just because in their country, discrimination against trans people kind of sucks. Uh, so that's our goal right now with the Patreon money, but also we're raising money to get people to Sundance. That's the big one. Uh, you know, gas money. It's just expensive. People travel from all over the world to come to this Sundance. And so I think it's very important for communists to be there and to be leaders there. Most importantly, um, there's a lot of different projects we want to accomplish while we're there. Uh, trash pickup, which is a lot of it's charity work. Like the trash pickup is because there is no garbage trucks there. So you have to take care of your own trash. Most people don't have cars. So then trash builds up you know um we want to uh as we're going to be working on a grant um to establish a buffalo prairie uh we'll be uh, helping feed people for four days uh while the ceremony goes on and then we'll also be helping build the structures for the community use um as well as um planting Trees is an alternative fuel source um, that are more permaculturally adapted to um, being cut repeatedly, unlike pine trees, which are pretty sappy and kind of suck for burning. Um, the, uh, there's, of course, just planting general uh, perennials that uh, will help feed people in need you know, very cheaply because that's the environment they're from. There's stuff like Tamshila and mouse beans and all kinds of different things I'm bringing out there to, um, you know, try to repopulate the Black Hills with food that used to be prolific there and still kind of is in places that aren't, you know, ranched. But, like, white people have really fucked things up. Um, like, I... I I don't know. There's a bunch of different stuff on that end. Then, of course, we're helping people uh, with the fires in Canada. Um, there's uh, a big issue is uh, Canada now ceremonies can't happen. So, um, like Sundance is canceled in Canada. Like that's pretty crazy to me. It's really sad. Um, there's a bunch of other different things we're doing. Uh, 
I forgot. I had I had something in mind that I was going to tell people about. There's the gardens, of course. Um, we have a couple in New York, um, Pennsylvania, Maine, Arkansas, Michigan, all over. Uh, David, you garden, right? Technically, we have some in Missouri, right? <laughs> Look at that. Rush is doing real nice. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not really, you know quite the level i guess the other people i'm mentioning are trying to get to or are already at but uh you know we working with like revolutionaries garden and podcasts like upstream decolonial buffalo uh, decolonized buffalo and to get all their stuff transcribed and more easily accessible and that's probably one of the biggest missions we're having right now is trying to get accessibility um to the information we've already released because there is so much info out here that our network has already done that is so educational and i mean honestly is a, almost a substitute to reading theory uh, <laughs> i mean not quite yet but give us a few more seasons and you'll have everything you need to be a good communist just right here listening to us talk you know and you need to organize with your neighbors and stuff. Like <laughs> you, you, you can't just do this though. Like, I don't want to give that impression. You need to go outside. All right. This touch grass communism here. Okay. Um, unless you're prez, which it's touch peer communism. Um, did it sh- bad joke. Anyway, the, the splash. There's a bad joke. That was all. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what, uh, that's uh, our plugs. Um, is that our plug? Oh, no. Uh, we have emails. Uh, Mark Madness at Mark Madness at gmail.com. I was going to say at gmailpod.com. I was like, no, that's not right. Uh, and then ba- Bands of Turtle Island at gmail.com is my personal. Uh, or you can do Chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com. Uh, we have Twitters, uh, Mark's Madness Pod, and then Chunkaluta1973 Pod. Oh, not, not Pod. Just Chunkaluta1973. Oh, and uh, Blue Sky. I, I don't know. What the fuck? Let me, let me look at it. It's, it's Zicado dot, dot something. It's Zicado dot B-Sky dot social. So if you're on Blue Sky, we're coming. Uh, I don't know. Uh, stay tuned for a TikTok, a website, blah, 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 blah. That's all of our plugs. Um, so with that, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkaluta. We read books. My name's David. I'm Shimani too. And I'm Prez. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Talk show.